Are you ready? Ready to release internal pain? To find confidence, clarity, and direction for your future? To live a life of meaning, fulfillment, and contribution? To trust your intuition again, but something's been holding you back? You've come to the right place. Welcome. I'm Ian Hawkins, the host and founder of the Grief Code podcast. Together, let's heal your unresolved or unknown grief by unlocking your grief code. As you tune in to each episode, you will receive insight into your own grief, how to eliminate it and what to do next. Before we start, I have one request. If any new insights or awareness land with you during this episode, please send me an email at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com and let me know what you found. I know the power of this work and I love to hear the impact these conversations have. Okay, let's get into it. In 2019, Nick Shaw and his family suffered something that no parent should have to go through. His son at the age of nine unfortunately passed away in a skiing accident. It was absolutely an accident, one of those freakish things. And in this chat, Nick shares how he and his family had to move past the pain, how they had to pick themselves back up again, and and also how he shared everything he learned along the journey in his book. And this book is an incredible tribute to his son, my teacher, my son. And for all the parents who are listening, you'll already know how much your children teach you. This is a whole different take on it. And an incredible journey from Nick and, and tremendous courage to share it so openly, not only in this chat, but in his book where he's helping other parents who have been through other stuff in a similar way. And also just sharing all of the wonderful positive aspects of what he's learned about himself and making sure he makes the most of his life in the future. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. And welcome this week's guest, Nick Shaw. How are you, Nick? I'm doing well. Happy, happy to be uh, hanging out with you and talking to you from all the way across the globe. Yeah. So tell us, so where are you at the moment, Nick? Where do you live? So I live in a small town called Carlisle, Massachusetts in the, in the United States. So uh, yeah, almost on the other side of the world from you. <laughs> yeah, nice. And uh, just the, I'm, I'm in the future. It's, uh, it's Thursday here in the morning and, and, and we're uh, backpedaling for you. So one of the main reasons we got you on here, Nick, is to tell your story, but specifically because you've got a book coming out. Um, my teacher, my son, lessons in life, loss, and love. Mm-hmm. And I imagine we're going to talk a lot about the inspiration for this book, but can you share a little bit for the listeners the inspiration for writing the book? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, almost five years ago now, uh, while on a on a family ski vacation in the western part of the United States in Montana. Um, my nine-year-old son, William, died in a, in a freaking tragic ski accident. Um, and, you know, in, in that moment, um, and even, you know, obviously in the days, weeks, and months after that, you know, my life that at that moment was, was going great, you know, had a beautiful family, lived in a beautiful place. My career was thriving, but you know, everything I thought life was about and how it should unfold was completely shattered. Um, and through an intense process of, reflection, meditation, grieving, you know, a lot of introspection. Um, 
I, I had this visceral need to make meaning out of this this loss that that seemed so random and and and, and senseless. And, and and for me, that was all about learning, learning uh, from it, learning from my son, so I could live my life differently. Um, and you know, as I started to reflect and started to capture what insights came to me, I I I, I just had an inclination I need to share it with the world because. Um, if there's one thing that you learn from loss and particularly the loss of the child is, is how fragile life is and, and that we only have this one life to live. And, and, and I, I believe we can all be more intentional in, in service of living more meaningful and purposeful lives. So that, that's really why I wrote the book. Yeah, I love it. I remember speaking to a, a close family friend of mine and his son had passed uh, at around 40 and, I, and at the funeral, I still remember his words to me when he said, you should never have to bury your son. Yeah. How much guilt and, and whatever else came up around that situation? Because that's part of the grieving process no matter what. But when you're a parent, I can't even fathom what that is like. Yeah. So a lot. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, and, you know, William was with me when he died, right? I was skiing with him when he died and, 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 we weren't doing anything crazy. He died on a very, you know, very simple type of ski run. It literally was a fluke accident. I don't even know to this day what caused him to veer off the slope, but, um, but he was with me. So obviously you can imagine that that created a, a tremendous amount of guilt for me. Yeah. Um, and, and then, and as I reflected on what happened and believe me, I've, I've replayed the, the, the events of that day over and over and over my head a, a gazillion times. Yeah, and right. I can honestly say I wouldn't have done anything differently. I, I mean, he didn't die because we were going down some extreme skiing run. It literally was, you know, it was a catwalk, which is a, an effectively a road to the bottom. Hmm. Um, but eventually the guilt, the guilt does, does subside. Um, because, because honestly, like I said, there was nothing, I, I wouldn't have done anything differently. And, and I kind of came to this conclusion that look, sometimes things beyond our control, um, take hold and, and, there's nothing you can do. And it's a hard thing to come to grips with. It's hard for me to come to grips with because in some ways it would have, it would have been made more sense if it was something I did that caused it to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I was able to get to that place. Um, yeah, I was able to get to that place. And, and again, through much reflection, I feel like, like I said, there are forces beyond our control that are at play sometimes. And, and no matter how much we do to try to keep our loved ones safe, there's sometimes things happen. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, you have to be ready, but that's the only way you can rationalize that sort of loss. Eventually, you have to come to that realization, okay, well, there's got to be a higher purpose for this. Otherwise, it's like, well, what, what was it for? Exactly. We do, we, we do search for meaning in those moments, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, that, was, that, was, that was sort of the thing that pulled me through. I, I went on this you know, very personal quest to, to, to find meaning out of this and and that's how I, that was my process of grieving, right? I, I uh, every morning I would go into his room and I would meditate and I would, in my meditation, pose the question, what can I learn from this? And sometimes things would come, sometimes they wouldn't. But at, after my meditation, I would capture whatever came to me. I would capture how I was feeling, you know, what was going on with me from a grief perspective. And then I would write a letter to William. And I did that for about, I don't know, four or five, even six months. Wow, um, and I was just very intentional about it. That, that was my way of doing it. I'm I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an introspective person by nature, and that was that's what worked for me. So, yeah, wow, that's powerful. I, I'm always encouraging people to to write and mm -hmm. get their thoughts out of their head, 
doing that in his room, like that must have taken some serious courage. For me, I just I kind of felt like I needed his aura, his presence, whatever you want to call it. I needed that to be there with me. It was, you know, call, call him a guide, call him you know, whatever you want to call him. I just needed to feel close to him. And that was that was the best place I could think to do it. Yeah, so this this podcast, we talk a lot about those uh, afterlife connections. Again, whether you call them aura or whatever, but do you do you actually get a physical sense of his presence, or is it a concept, or like how do you actually connect with that memory or or, or energy of William? Yeah, it's 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 a great question. I I can't say it's a physical presence. I I um. I connect with him more in my in my thoughts and in, in, in my sort of more meditative state, I guess, is the way I do it. I mean, I, I often will, you know, in my meditations, try to talk to him. And sometimes I get stuff that comes back to me. Um, yeah, that's cool. Um, you know, I mean, there's been there's a couple of, of, of moments where, you know, I would I would ask him something and something came back to me. And I, and I just trust that it's him. I mean, you know, people are always just your head saying, no, look, for me, I trust that it's him and I'm, I'm going to go yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, and he, he definitely, you know, in, you know, there's a lot sort of written and studied that when, when you lose someone, they can come to visit you in dreams and things of that nature. And I, I definitely had some, I had one very poignant, uh, what they call visit from him, which, which was extremely special, um, where he came and, you know, we had a conversation and it was, I mean, it was very real. So, yeah. Uh, one of my best mates in this world, he described, uh, uh it took until we were traveling in 98. So he would have been, maybe 13 years after his dad's passing where the same thing happened. Like his dad mm. came to him in a dream and he said it just, for the first time, it just gave him closure because it was so real, like no dream he'd ever had. And and while you, if you're a listener, you could look at it like, well, the science of it is that our unconscious can tap into every memory we've ever had of that person. Mm-hmm. So, you can look at it from a scientific perspective and go, we meditation, we're accessing it. Personally, I like to believe that, well, science also says that energy doesn't disappear. So the energy is there somewhere and how it's presenting. Well, in meditation, that's a time where we, we can connect. And of course, in our dream state, it's the same state. Absolutely. And we, I think we have to be open to it. I mean, I think you can, anyone can fall back on, is it scientifically proven or not? And that's fine. And there's a lot that we don't know. And I think if we're open to it, um, then I, you know, I tend to, I tend to agree with you that, you know, their energy, their, their essence is still around. So. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, but for me, the experience was in the first few days afterwards, I was talking to my dad regularly. Like mm-hmm. it's a natural reaction. I've had other guests say the same thing. Mm-hmm. You say you're talking to this person that's passed in the early days, people think you're normal, but then if you want to have a conversation about it down the track and then people start maybe questioning you and it's like, well, what's the difference? And right. so again, like you said, if you're open to it, then you can have some most incredible experiences like you've described. Absolutely. Now you talked about the guilt eventually starts to fade, but as a coach yourself, mm-hmm. I imagine you would have already had some strategies built in. So how did you process the guilt to be able to move past it so it would fade? Yeah, there was, so there's a couple of key, I'll I'll answer your question in a second. I I do want to talk about a couple of key events that sort of helped me process my guilt or or sort of move move past my guilt. Yeah. Um, The first, the first event or experience that happened was 
you know, when I, when I was with him and then I was, they eventually found him and they tried to bring him to the ski patrol clinic to, to, to revive him. And I was there and, and I, I was there alone and, and I heard the news first from the doctors. And then my wife um, eventually came and I was very nervous about, it. I mean, I mean, he was with me, so I, I wasn't quite sure how she'd respond. Would she blame me? Would she, you know, which would have been quite honestly, a normal response, you know, in, in, in a fit of grief and despair. But yeah. after when we first locked eyes and I told her the news, she, she obviously was extremely emotional, but when she composed herself, um, she put both her hands on my shoulder, looked me in the eye and said, it's not your fault. Wow. And in that moment that gave me, you know, she, she, she gave me the, she just gave me the, the, the license or the, the, the space to, to, to even let that be a possibility. So that was the sort of the first moment um, that sort of, yeah, that, that kind of, that gave me that, that possibility that I wouldn't have to carry this guilt with me for the rest of my life. Um, the, other, the other moment that, that was a bit of a relief from a guilt perspective was, you know, so I was looking for William when he veered off this slope into sort of a more powdery part of the slope with some trees. And I tried to find him, but the, the, the snow was so deep and heavy, I couldn't get, you know, more than five to 10 feet into that forest. And so what was consuming me for, for a while was, you know, could I have done more? Could I, could, you know, if I'd found him earlier, could I have saved him? Cause you know, um, and so I'd say a, a week or so after, you know, the accident, we got back to, to Massachusetts, we, we got the coroner's report, which basically, uh, he, he died instantaneously. Um, and so, so nothing I could have done, could, yeah. uh, would have, would have helped him. And so, the, you know, that, that gave me that sense of relief that, you know, I, I didn't give, you know, it wasn't, wasn't because I couldn't get to him that he died. Right. That, and that, that was another piece of relief for me. You know, back to your question about you know, strategies on, on, on guilt. Um, from a coaching perspective, I think one of, one of the strategies in coaching terms that I employed was, was just trying to reframe everything or, or reframe the situation yeah. or, or, or find some kind of a, a more positive framing or mantra that, that I could, I could um, call on when I needed to. And, and one of the things that came up to me sort of, you know, I, I'd say relatively early on was this mantra of what would Willie want? We call him Willie. So what would Willie want? And it's not something you often think about. And I'm sure you, maybe you thought about this with your father, but you know, when someone dies, we don't often, unless it's happy, you don't often think about, well, what, how can I do things in a way that would honor their wishes? And I'm, I know that William would not have wanted me to be beating myself up and, and, and being more in a state of despair and guilt than necessary. So that was a mantra that I, 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 called on and still call on to this day to, to really look to him and say, well, what, what, do you, what, you know, what would he want for me? Would he want me to be a, a complete mess and never come out of this thing? Would he want our family to fall apart? Would he want a whole slew of bad things that can happen in these situations? The answer is no. And so that to me was a big reframing uh, vehicle or, or mantra to, I put to use to, in service of that. Yeah, I love that. And I think we, when we do that reframe, we generally connect to the essence of that person. Like, I think about the the in the waiting room, uh, just waiting for the um, must be the maybe I guess the coroner. Well, well, we were waiting there after he'd passed, and my siblings and family. There was lots of humour, which mm -hmm. would have been dad, and and it's also another coping mechanism. So, 
don't know if that resonates with you, but it's like it's like that. What would they want? It's it's a natural response of of how they would be in their regular life anyway. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's not to say you're not going to go through your grief process, um, but I, I do think there comes a moment where the grief process has to has to you have to move forward and, and live your life, uh, which is entirely what my son would want, what your father would want, and and uh, it's not an immediate reaction you get in the early days, but it's a point you it's the aspirational point I think people should hope to get to at some point in the process, right? Absolutely. I, I think that's the hardest part to come to is that you can find joy after all this pain. Like, am I going to get judged if I'm too happy? Because people, to be fair, people do. I didn't experience this myself, but I have had people say, oh, is it too, you know, is it too soon? Is it, you know, you need to move yeah. on with it? So you're getting this conflicting advice. So no wonder in our heads we're like, am, am I okay to, to be joyful again? Yeah, it's it's a it, and I experienced that too. I mean, I, I think one of the one of the things about grief is everyone's got a, an opinion about how it should unfold. There, yeah. there, and there's a lot of books written on it. <laughs> and what I what I've learned in my in my process is, is Greek is uniquely personal. Yeah, like, it doesn't follow a pattern. If you do it your way, um, and 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 it's it's hard to come to terms with that. I mean, I, I believe me, my negative, you know my negative voice, my negative chatter in my head was, was constantly judging me. Are you doing it well? Why aren't you, why aren't you falling to pieces or, or having this huge emotional uh, outpouring? It's like, what, what's wrong with you? I mean, I went through many cycles of that. Um, yeah. But I think grief is personal and you, we all do it in our own way. Uh, I did it very differently than my wife did it and that's fine. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and we just have to give ourselves permission to do it in our own way. Well said. Can you tell us a little bit about who William was? Uh, what sort of person he was? Yeah, the the most common descriptor of him, um, you know, uh, you know, after he passed away, was he was an old soul. Um, he was an unbelievably um, caring and sensitive little boy. Like he really, I don't know, he had this sense for how people were feeling, and he he sort of knew how to be. Uh, how to be around them with whatever they were feeling. And I think that that made people very comfortable around him. I mean, he was a kid in class who, you know, when a new kid came to school, they sat him next to William as, as sort of someone to welcome him in, welcome that child into, into the school. Um, he, he grappled with anxiety. Um, and, you know, my wife and I actually put him in therapy, I think when he was around seven, eight or something like that. And he was, he'd made a ton of progress. I mean, he was really like starting to thrive. And at the, uh, just before he turned eight, he was doing, my wife took the boys to a Unitarian, a Unitarian church uh, in, in our, in our town. And they would do different like activities with the kids. And, and they did an activity where they asked the kids to declare a mantra for the coming year. It was like in the fall or, or, or you know, November-ish timeframe. And this little boy, not even eight, his mantra was be yourself. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I still marvel at that, that, you know, here's this boy and at eight says, makes a declaration to be himself. Um, and, 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 and followed through. He, you know, he, he, he developed his own sense of style. He pursued sports. He loved, I mean, it was, he, I, you know, he, he really came into his own that year before he, he passed away. And that, I mean, that's just, that's, a, that's an unbelievable thing, right? That's an unbelievable thing for a child that age to do that. And, and it's, it inspires me uh, every day. And I, I push myself to be myself. It's, 
as I'm sure you know, as you coach people, it's, 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 it's an easy phrase, but many of us have a very hard time actually doing that. <laughs> and he did it. So that's who he was. Oh, that's amazing. And to me, it comes back to what we're talking about. You said you can't control something. Some things are meant to be. And, and it's like, do we choose this journey before we come? Is it predetermined? Whatever your beliefs are there, it's like people have a purpose. And if his purpose was to live like that fully and then and then create a moment in time that, that inspires people to change, then, then what a legacy. That's why I wrote the book, <laughs> you know, because I, I, I had to – I wanted his legacy to endure and, and uh, I believe that that was his purpose uh, yeah, and yeah. things happened as they happened and, and it's on me to live that truth for myself because it's not something that's always come naturally to me and it's – you know, and, and I need to spread the word. So, Yeah, yeah, I love that. For people who are, are facing loss of any kind and they're looking at, at creating that sort of legacy, how, how would you suggest they go from that grief process to then coming to that realisation? Because I can still definitive, definitively remember the moment when it was for me. I was on the train mm-hmm. heading home from work when it just, like, dawned on me, well, maybe this was all meant to happen. Maybe because I wouldn't have gone on the path I'm going on now if if that hadn't passed. Sure. Yeah. So so how do you how do you help people come to that realization, or when the realization comes, how they then navigate that towards something that's meaningful? Because not everyone's going to write a book, not everyone's going to have this big mission, but it's still possible to leave that legacy, right? Yeah. I, I mean. I think the best advice I can give people is number one, let it take its time. (laughs) You know, you can't rush through uh, grief um, and you have to go through grief. I, I, you know, one of the things I, 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 I firmly believe through my own experiences, there's no, there's only one way through grief and that's to go through grief, right? Can't go around it. Can't avoid it. You just cause other problems if you try to do that. So let the process unfold in your own way and, get help. I mean, we, we, we got a family therapist. We went to, uh, you know, a grief group, you know, with other parents who'd lost children and had surviving children. So we, we, we exhausted all resources to get support and help. So I would say do that, um, as, as best you can and, and, and find a way that works for you. Um, you know, don't, don't feel like you have to fit some mode of how things should be done or some model for how things should be done. Cause that, that just, in the spirit of being yourself, you got to do grief in a way that's true to who you are. Um, and then I think from there, things will, things will happen. Um, and, and look, my way was my way. My wife's way was very different. I, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to prescribe a way of doing it, but I think just, you got to find your way through it, get the resources you can get the help as necessary. Um, and as far as legacy, I think that's also a very personal thing, right? Um, yeah, I think you you you, you, you got to find that thing that that you feel most connected to that person, and and then from there, figure out how you might honor their legacy. Yeah, well said. That they're two big big things I'm big on is is finding your own way through it and actually getting support through that. So I love that you've highlighted those two things as well. Having those steps in those early stages is really helpful. What I know of grief is it's it keeps coming in different forms, but it can keep coming for fifteen years. Mm-hmm. 
What have you learned about that long-term residual effect of grief that might even still be playing out for you now? Like what sort of things have shown up that, that still show you there's some work to do? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I, I think for me, you know, I definitely still feel the pangs from now. You know, you, you, you know, you're going about your day and then you're reminded and you still have that sort of that pain it hits you kind of hard. It's um, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's for me, like when I would get, it just goes right to my chest. I mean, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's, um, um, you know, I, I think, I think that you just have to accept that this is, this is who you are now, you know, that, that you know, I, I write about this in my book and, and actually the epilogue, because uh, it's been almost five years and, and I have to say my family's doing, I'm very proud of how, how far we've come through this process. Like we're, we're all in, we're doing pretty well in, in spite of everything. Um, but this is my life. Like I, I can't, I can't imagine my life differently anymore. Like, you know, this, this is the life I have this event, this horrible tragedy happened to, to William and to our family, but I can't even conceive of what my life was like before. It's almost like I have to, I've had two lives, a life before William and a life or a life with William in it. And then a life after William. Um, and I, and I think except for me, it's about accepting it. This is the life I have. And, and there are days when I'm, you know, it, it's, it's horrible. Um, but this is the life I have. One thing to to talk about is I think it, it is. I don't want to say it's it's a complication, but it definitely is. It's an interesting call it twist of the story. Um, so we had another child a year and a half after William died. Um, our third son Bodie was born, and it created a strange phenomenon because the two are linked, right? I we, I, you know, I was. When, when we had Bodhi, I was 45. We, we were not not planning to have another child. Um, and so the two are linked. I, we would not have had Bodhi had William not died. We didn't have Bodhi to replace William. We just, we needed, we wanted our, our, our middle son, Kai, to have a sibling. We wanted to fill our, you know, have, make our family feel more whole. So it does, it's an interest, it, that was in itself a very interesting thing. It's, you know, on the one hand, I have this, my, my one son, son has passed away, and then I have this other son, and there's this linkage between the two um you know so i i'm upset on the one hand and, and then and then i'm also but then i have Bodhi. so it's, it's a weird it's it's an unreconcilable thing and I, I talk about this in, in, in my book you can't reconcile this you can't how can I, I how do i reconcile the fact that one son is here because the other one isn't you can't you can't wrap your head around it it just is and, and, and just is. Yeah. it's something you have to accept and this is the life we have and I, that's what gets me through. I, I have to, I've come to a place of acceptance of everything, um, and I think that to me is the ultimate. I think that's the thing that allows you to move forward, is, is to, to finally say, "Yep, this, you know, there's nothing you can do to change what happened." I mean, it's about as final as it gets, as we know. At least we think we know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, at some point, you got to get there, and it's not easy. It takes time, but that, I think that's what's allowed me to to, and and I'm I'm I'm. I'm a bereaved father. I will, I will forever be a bereaved father. And I can, I still have a wife to live. I have two kids to raise and a, and a wife to love and more to do in my life. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we can't go back to who we were before. Like you said, we're, we're completely different people. It's just then, okay, well, we get a choice. How do we then react? Do we, do we dwell in this or do we go, okay, well, I'm going to honor that legacy and, and be as positive as I can. 
do you see you said they're linked because of the story but do you see any link like do you do you look at Bodie sometimes and go wow that's 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 very William it's very what sorry William like it's like it's like it's well, like, it, he's a, like his brother well the 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 the, the, the uncanny thing about this is that they look very similar. You're right. Like it's, 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 it's like, so my middle son, Kai, doesn't look like either of the two of them. But those two, it's, it's, it's almost scary sometimes. I, but no, I, 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 you know, so yes, they certainly do look alike. And it's, and it's a bit like, it's a bit like, whoa, it's a bit surreal. But I, 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 I don't, he's, he's Bodhi. Uh, and, and actually to, to, to share with you, you know, we, we talked a little bit about connecting with, with the, the people we lost. In one of my meditations, and again, I don't care what people think about me. They, they think I'm crazy, but whatever. I, I asked William, this is when we found out we were going to have Bodhi I, um, before he was born. I asked him, I said, hey, tell me about your little brother. And, and he said something very, very, very wise. This is an old soul would. He said, he's going to he's going to look like me, but he won't be me. Oh. I swear, I, yeah, I, I mean, that, it, you can't, I mean, and and that's and that it, he looks like him, but he is not him. <laughs> and I oh, and that. Oh, it tingles all over when you're saying that story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, from I'm, I'm like you, like, and I've told enough of these stories of my own stories. I had enough guests talking about their stories. So if people are still listening, they will absolutely not think you're crazy. They'd yeah. be more than curious or, or all in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had experiences connecting with my dad, which I, I don't expect people to, to, to believe them or understand them but I know what I experienced and I know the messages that I received and, and, and that like you talked about before grieving in your own way, doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks. It's it's it doesn't. Yeah. The profound impact it has for us. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think, uh, I, I really don't care what anybody else. I know what I experienced and I'm not, you know, I I don't, I'm not someone who's prone to exaggeration. So, so so if I experienced it, I experienced it. So, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, and it's part of the grieving process, I imagine. Like, if you're not open to it, then you're going to keep yourself stuck. Well, that's a, that's an interesting, I think, an interesting, um, an interesting, call it silver lining or gift from grieving is 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 it can open you up in ways that you perhaps weren't open before. You have to be open to it, you know. You really have to. You have to be willing to let the possibility of whatever, and it could be a lot. It doesn't just it can be a lot of different things, but you know, when I lost William, I was cracked open. You know, like everything, you know, was on display. You know, exposed. Um, and there's a lot you don't want to have to face, but if you're open to facing it. And can get through it, it it can open some sides of yourself that you never knew existed um for example i i in my book um each chapter starts with a poem that i wrote i've never written poetry in my life (laughs) wow (laughs) you know um but that was my way i i tapped into a part of myself that i didn't know existed and and that's what came out so beautiful I'm I'm big on finding the gift in your grief, and it comes back again to what you said there around legacies, like and purpose. It's to me when you can get to that point of acceptance, and then and then start thinking about well, what else is possible? Then there are those magic moments. It can only mm-hmm. come from having gone through that 
that yeah. grieving experience. Yeah. Again, for those who are more um, spiritually minded, when, when you talked about the epilogue for the mm-hmm. first time, and I don't know why, but I looked up at the clock to see what it was, and it was 2222, right? Mm-hmm. And if you buy into angel numbers and numerology too is about purpose. Mm-hmm. So what is in that epilogue that's linked to purpose that's so important? What's in the epilogue for myself, for my own purpose, you mean? Yeah. So I, I yeah, it's a great question. Um, I did a meditation. So a mentor of mine, I don't know, call it, I don't know, it must have been like seven or eight years ago now. I was trying, I had the question, what's my purpose? You know, what, what, what do I want to do with myself? Why am I here? And my mentor was spiritually inclined and he said, well, well you know, sit and meditate and um, just ask the question in your mind, you know, sound, what's your purpose? And, and just listen. And, you know, I, I wasn't as big into meditation. This is before everything. So I wasn't spiritually, as spiritually inclined as I am now, but I did it. Um, and you know, I, I repeated that question and posed it for a couple, couple iterations. Eventually what came back to me, um, surprised me. Cause I, you know, at the time I was just starting my career as an executive coach. And, and so I thought maybe it'll have to do with, 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 um, my clients, but what came back to me is that my, my two most important clients at the time were my, my kids, my boys, William and Kai. And that my purpose was to learn so I could teach them. Um, and that, 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 again, that happened before everything that happened with William, but that does continue to be my purpose, you know, and, and I, it's, it's, I, I need to learn so I can teach my, you know, now Kai and Bodhi, but they also teach me every day. So it's this interesting loop of teaching, right. That happens, but that, that is my purpose. I, my purpose is to, is to carry on the learnings I've taken from this book. It's also to live them. You know, I, I, I learned a lot of things, but I, I'll be the first to admit I certainly have not implemented all of them. <laughs> and that's that I, ha, I have a sort of an aspiration to, to, to drive towards. And my purpose is to do that so, so that I can also not, not only have a more fulfilling life for myself, but then can help others do it as well. I love that. I want to come back to um, my, my teacher, my son, because I obviously the essence of the book and and there'll be so many different lessons when you become a coach there's a backstory now you've got this story that's happened when you're already coaching but was there a life event that happened prior to this that that changed everything that had you wanting to go down that path yeah absolutely uh when william was born so I, I had a former, I did something different when he was born. I was a more of a process improvement, change management kind of a guy, um, more, more around like, you know, operations and supply chain. And, and I, I, I pursued that career for the wrong reasons, you know, um, because I thought it's what I should do. <laughs> and, um, I was miserable. I mean, you know, I was miserable. You just ask my wife. I was, I was, I was miserable. I was frustrated. I wasn't happy. I was depressed, you know, a whole slew of things. And when William was born, shortly thereafter, I kind of, it just kind of hit me like I, I can't do. I, I just had a son. I'm a father to a son. He's going to look to me to be his role model of what it means to be a man. I can't do something I'm not passionate about. And and that that's where the phrase came from. As after William died, I, ref, I, I was reflecting on him and his impact on me, and I realized he'd been teaching me since the day he was born. Yeah. Um, 
And that's when I decided to, you know, went, did a whole slew of introspection, reflection, and that's when I, I, I started to pursue the path of coaching. Um, but yeah, that his, he, he, it was, it's a really, it's a really crazy sequence of events. So I became a coach when he was born. And then after he died, I, I believe that my, my, the fact that I was a coach allowed me to process my grief in the way I process my grief. It allowed me to write this book. If I, if I hadn't been a coach, I would not have been able to write this book. So yeah. I become a coach <laughs> when my son is born. And then I write this book because I'm a coach it, I, when he dies. And it's, it's just part of the story. You know, it's part of the, in, in some way, weird way, it's all interconnected. Yeah. Can, can we dig a bit further back there? Because what, what you described there is, uh, you know, you were miserable. You didn't really like your job. You're doing it because you thought you had to. It's what a lot of men face at different mm-hmm. times in their their working life was was you were you sort of at the point of like breaking was there pressure building like what were you experiencing at that time that that would have le- led to that perfect storm that when William was born you you were ready to sort of look at things differently I, I just think it was and I wasn't I wasn't breaking I mean I, I you know I, I think the biggest the biggest challenge for me I knew I didn't like what I was doing, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And as someone who is a self-proclaimed control freak, if I didn't have the answer, then I, I just couldn't move forward. Um, and, and I needed something to break that cycle. I, I needed something to give me the courage to just take that leap of faith, because I think that's what it does take when you make those kinds of moves in, in, in your life and in your career. And, and just having a son was that thing. It, just, it was a thing that said, you know what? There's some things, you know, you, you just have to, you got to you gotta break the paradigm and stop trying to figure out your next three steps and just go do something, go try something, see what happens and, and, and you know, experiment a bit. And, that, and so it, it had been building up for probably 10 plus years at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I could definitely relate to that, not, not really knowing what to do. I hadn't really thought about it like that before that that actually uh, unable to move forward because that's very much where I was. It was like, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure what I want to do when I grow up and just sort of go through yeah, making reasonable progress because you have to, but but not yeah. able to really hit your uh, that untapped potential. So yeah. just making that choice, was that at the start for you to start uh, yeah, tapping into that that potential that you knew was there but you hadn't accessed? Yeah, I just had to make the choice. I mean, I, 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 I had an epiphany, like it was, and I think it was, it was in the influence of William being born. And then I, I remember it was a very specific moment where I realized I got it. This is, this, this has to stop. <laughs> it just had to stop. And, and, and that was the moment where I was like, okay, it's, it's done. Really interesting. Cause my oldest has had that same reaction from people, old soul, like mm-hmm. could talk very articulately quite young and but also like seeing spiritual people and, and doing the numerology and going oh yeah they're, they're an old soul mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and i had that same moment i mean i just figured it was because it was my first born and i'm like i, I have to be better yeah and i wonder if there's something to that is like not not every being that comes into this world has that same ability to influence it's, it's more yeah. of a statement of curiosity more than anything no, it's, else. it's an interesting it's an interesting i mean you know again we're all 
if there is a grand plan, we're, we're put together for a reason, right? So, yeah. yeah. Um, our sons were put in our, in our lives for a reason, I guess. Yeah. It's a fascinating, fascinating space for sure. Tell me, I don't know why my head went there, but, but I listened to the names of your children and I think, um, point break and I think like sort of surf culture sort of, um, sort of thing. Is that like, is, does that fit with your family and being adventurous and that sort of thing? Or or is there another inspiration behind that? Yeah, man, I can tell you that. So, so William, William, we just named him after his name was William Wolfgang Shaw. So he, his middle name was a little bit more unique than his first name, but he was named after both my maternal grandparents. So my, my grandfather's Wolfgang, my wife's grandfather was William. Um, Kai, you know, we were going down the path of, you know, more traditional names and we had this, we, there's a, there's a, um, a radio show or radio station in, in the United States called NPR, National Public Radio. And there's a, there's a, He's a, one of the, the talk show hosts on the radio, and his name's Kai Rizdahl. He does Market Watch. He just has a cool voice, and my wife and I used to listen to him when we lived in Los Angeles, and we just said, ah, that's a cool name, so Kai, because it, it, is a, it, is a, it does have roots in the Hawaiian culture, and it's, it means of the sea. Um, but then Bodhi, Bodhi was very intentional, so there, there's definitely some deep meaning to that. So Bodhi is spelled B-O-D-H-I, and so when... Um, when William died and we, and we did, and we found out we we're having another son, my wife said, well, let's, let's name him Bodhi short for Bodhisattva, uh, you know, Bodhisattva is someone who foregoes going to Nirvana to come back and ease suffering. And it doesn't get more perfect uh, than that for him. So. Wow. I think we'll yeah. that as well. Amazing. Yeah. What a beautiful uh, connection. So tell me Nick a little bit more about your all of your sons being being teachers, mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah, and what you've learned because because they are they come here and the the more we can be open to to listening to them, the more we can actually learn because they bring such simplicity. Absolutely, I, I I honestly like we have to pay attention to our kids, right? Because they're mirrors, right? They reflect they reflect they reflect our best behaviors, they reflect our worst behaviors. They will they pick up on everything we do and they will do everything yeah. we do. So so uh and in that way they can be they don't they, they they cannot tell a lie in that way, right? Um so Kai Kai is an unbelievable um unbelievable boy. He he is the the epitome of of resilience. Um you know, he was 6 when this happened. Um and there was there's a, there's a specific story that that I'll share, which 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 is I also talked about because I actually have a chapter dedicated to each each boy and, and the lessons they specifically taught me. But you know, in the week after we got back home and had to plan everything out, the funeral, we had a bunch of friends over and they were helping us with everything, and they they needed a picture of William for the obituary, and I gave them my phone, and I, it was very hard for my wife and I to look at pictures. It was just too soon. It was too painful. Hmm. And somehow that phone got into Kai's hands and I noticed that and I, I immediately went over to him. I was worried. I was like, I wanted to grab it out of his hand and protect him because I was afraid that, but I went over to him and he had this big smile on his face as we were scrolling through pictures of his brother. Wow. And he's just, that's kind of the way he's been. He's always wanted to talk about William. He's wanted to connect with William. You can always hear him say, remember that time when William, even to this day, we talk about William all the time. Um, and he's just, He's just, that was his way. That was, his way was to just 
walk toward it. Don't walk away from it, which is not an instinct we, we had, but that, that was him. He's like, you know, that, I'm going to walk towards this thing and, and be resilient to it. And he was, so he was, that's the lesson he taught us is just this power of resilience. I just got full body response to that. Like he's been counseling you from the moment it happened by the sound of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And he, and wow. he, and then everything, and then everything that happened, you know, after, so we, you know, we had a couple of tough, I mean, we lost William and then, you know, the next year pandemic, you know, and then our, our Bodie's born in the middle of the pandemic and he's got a lung issue by the way, which, you know, so that didn't make things easy. It's fine. It's fine now. But so we went and he, Kai was rock solid, never complained, just smiled and was always willing to do whatever it took for the family. And so that's the big lesson, the resilience. And, and actually the chapter, the chapter, the name of the chapter for Kai is the resilience of the sea because his name means uh, of the sea. But, um, and then Bodhi, Bodhi, the lesson Bodhi taught me. Um, so it was hard for me to have another child. I was in my, my mid forties. I, I thought I was beyond that stage of life and, you have you have kids you know those early stages of having kids are not easy no, really not, not. i really did not want to go back to that place i it was and um and you know i'd say about when he was one year old i i'd gone back to work i took a six-month leave action but then eventually went back to work and, and right around the time he was turning one we went on vacation i really need a break and you know as you know vacation with a one-year-old is not really a vacation. Um, <laughs> and I lost it. Like I, I just, cause every time, you know, every time I would be with Bodhi and he was unconsolable, like one-year-olds can be, it was just, it was kind of a slap in the face. So I lost my older son and I, this is where I am. This I'm dealing and it was just, it was all. And, and, um, and I fought that for a long time and, you know, we had to have a, my wife and I had to have a heart to heart on that. She had to set me straight if you will. And that, you know, the, the lesson Bodhi taught me is you, you just, you do have to just accept, you, you know, the more you fight, what is the more painful it will be. Um, you know, it, the, the, the concept of samsara and the, in the Buddhist tradition, right? You, you can fight it all you want. That's just gonna, that's just gonna lengthen your pain. So you just have to accept it. Bodhi is here. Yes. He's a one-year-old. He's going to have his tantrums and whatnot. So that's the lesson he continues to teach me now because he's three right now. And, and as, as you recall, two and three are also tough ages, but uh, acceptance of what is, 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 is sort of a lesson that I, I take from him. Amazing. Um, when you were discussing Kai and you were talking about, uh, you know, like that smile on his face and like the emotion I felt was just this overwhelming pride in like mm -hmm. how, like, what's that strength? It's a resilience that you talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, amazing. Um, I don't know if you're familiar much with Chinese medicine and, and what the body says about different things, but lung is very much linked to grief. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which is interesting, given he's he's born into a still grieving family. So, do you think, as you guys continued to do the work on yourselves, then mm -hmm. then that would have helped ease the grief that he was born into as well? I think so. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yes. With, with, with beyond, you know, we didn't want to bring a child into this world and and us be totally. Um, incapable of having joy and happiness. I mean, what, what's the point of that? <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah, yeah. So no, absolutely. I mean, but both Kai and Bodhi have been huge motivators for us to do the work. 
you know, um, early on, my wife and I ha- had set a, re- a resolve to we're, we're going to we're going to we're going to move. We're not going to let this destroy our family. Um, and, and it's funny, people are all like, God, you're such an inspiration. And, and I'm, I'm happy. I'm great. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy to, that our story can inspire people. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. But we, the way we looked at it, there was no choice. There was no choice in the matter. We were gonna get through this and move forward. Not get through it. It's not the right. Move forward and 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 try to make a, a the lives we know William would have wanted for us, for ourselves, and for the sake of our our two other children, because it just wasn't. We couldn't accept that this would destroy everything. It just wasn't. We weren't gonna let that happen. Yeah. You mentioned that comment that your wife gave you when William first passed that, you know, you know, it's not your fault. I, I was coaching a young fellow when, uh, when I was still in corporate, uh, about 25, 26 and he passed suddenly. And my, that was the next day we had to go into work. Mm-hmm. And my boss said the same thing to me. He goes, you know, this is not your fault. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it must've been written all over my face, I guess. But for me that, Logically, I knew that to be true, but it didn't stop the thoughts of, yeah, but what if it is? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You said that was such a profound thing because it actually you you were a you you were already thinking what would her reaction be. Mm-hmm. Did you have to grapple with the logic's one thing, but but that's not how I'm feeling. I mean, in that moment, or. or- I mean, in the moment, it was a relief. On, so, yeah, just more more ongoing. Ongoing. Like, yeah, I mean, look, it, 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 didn't, it didn't just subside, right? It wasn't like, okay, cool, I'm not going to feel good. Like, I, I definitely, I had to work through that. Mm-hmm. I had to work through that. It took a while for me to get, get to that place where I could accept. It took a lot of reflection, meditation, churning, churn, you know, re, re, replaying the story. I mean, I've replayed that day over my head. Yeah, I bet. A gazillion times. Um so no, there there were definitely there was a lot of turning things over in my head around that for for a while. I think you know I think what 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 her saying and and I suspect the same thing when your boss said it to you. It just it just opens a door that that is a possibility, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just like saying you know it just it's you know I think you need to, it's it's useful to hear that from somebody else to at least make that seem like it's even a possibility in your life. Oh. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And you use that word acceptance. I think that's a key part of it, learning to come to acceptance. So, again, if you put your coach hat on, mm-hmm. what what's some good advice for people listening on on coming to a level of acceptance, whether it's whether it's loss of someone's passing or relationship or uh, losing a job or whatever it is, like what what's some good advice you can give them around acceptance, coming to acceptance? Yeah, it's it's a bit similar to what I said earlier around the grieving. I, I think you 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 can't get there too quickly because acceptance it, you it will you have to you have to believe it right. So without you can't you you can't do acceptance halfway right. You can't you can't fake acceptance right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a, you know I, I don't have anything super concrete about that. I, I just think there there comes a point where you have to ask yourself, what is, how is this serving me to, to continue to, to not accept this, right? How, how is this, how is this serving me to continue to fight against this? 
Uh, how is it serving me to be the victim in this situation? Because believe me, I did a lot of that. Um, so you have to get to that point that, you know, it, there comes a point where that all that sort of mindset is doing more harm than good. And you gotta, you, you know, self-awareness is key to that, right? And so if you're not self-aware of how, how your mindset is impacting you, then it's hard to do. And, and that's where I think it's important that people are reflective and, and do check in with themselves, which I think is a problem in society in general. We don't do enough of that in this day and age. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, because I was a coach, I, I, I naturally practiced those things. So it was, I was more predisposed to doing that because I tell my clients to do that all the time. I, I yeah. had to walk the talk. But um, yeah, yeah. but no, I, I think I think you have to be aware and and and, and in that moment say, is, is this is this no longer is this is this fighting of this thing no longer serving? I, I, I there, there there is a point where it does serve you, and that's fine. But there there's a point where it no longer serves you, and at that at that point, you have to make the the choice to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And that's true for any any loss or any pattern that's serving you until it's no longer. And then you have to have that introspective yeah. look at things. And, and I love how you've highlighted that because ultimately it comes back to that with everything. It's like if you continue to do it externally focused and worried about other people and other people's thoughts and all those sorts of things, you'll forever remain trapped. But the moment you come back to self, you can you – you mentioned the word before, control freak. You can come mm-hmm. back to semblance of self-control, which then allows you to feel – in control did you drift into that i imagine as a coach you're someone that's really good at looking after people did Mm -hmm. you drift into that role of making sure everyone else was okay for a lot of that time even though you were grieving yourself were you were you investing a fair bit in other people or or did you see your wife more taking on that role I, you know, I think, you know, when we, so when I, you know, so I took a six month leave of absence and then, and then Kai went back to school because we, we asked him and he actually wanted to go back to school a couple weeks after. So I think he kind of had a, a sense that, that that was the best thing for him. So, you know, we both took care of Kai when we needed to. And, and, and I'd say in those early days, it was a bit, it was a lot about self-care uh, for each yeah. of us in our own, you know, in our own way. Yeah, uh, my, I, I'm an introvert, so I, I just need to be alone. <laughs> my wife's an extrovert, so she needed to be surrounded by people, and she was very a lot more extroverted in, in her uh, emoting of things, which was, was fine. Um, and and that's how she did it. Um, I think we that was one of the things I think that was positive in in in, in how we got through it together. We gave each other the space we needed to do it in our own way. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, that was the that was a key. I think that was key for us. Hmm. Uh, I'm curious. I'm I'm very much on the extrovert side as well. Mm-hmm. As a coach, when you are very people focused, mm-hmm. what? How do you manage your energy to make sure that you are getting that alone time? Because then you finish a day's work, you've got family and everything, yeah. young children. Yeah, I. Uh, it's it's a struggle, <laughs> you know, because um, as you know, you're you're talking to people all day long as a coach and and. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I just, I just make sure I get at least a good hour of, of me time at the end of the day. So I, I typically, yeah, I, I need a good hour. And, and that typically is enough. Um, you know, there's that moment where Bodhi goes to bed and Kai's off doing his thing and my wife's doing her thing and I just do my thing. And, and I, and I, and it's kind of, it's, yeah, that's sort of protected time that I need. I love it. Uh, I was listening to a, a coach talking about, I think he was an executive coach as well, and he said 
when he when he highlighted that need to have that separate time, the the executive actually rebuilt the front of his house so he could get to the bedroom first before he faced the family. And he said, <laughs> not, not everyone has that uh, those sort of resources. So just trying to create that space for yourself is really important. Yeah, I can't remember if it was before we hit record or or after, but you talked about when you when you're uh, a coach and and you go on the journey yourself and you start learning all these things, there's a real desire to then pass the message on. And you said there's there's a, so many unnecessarily unhappy people in the world. What's the message to people who are going through things that you know they don't have to? Is is there do you have like some foundational steps that they could take to be able to move forward? Yeah, I, I think one of the one of the things that's super I, I think people just learn how to pause. They, they need to learn how to find moments. And I'm not just say, saying go take a vacation. I'm saying you have to find moments in your week to just step away for a minute, for, like, call it out, whatever it is. I don't, you know, it's different, but pause, step back and reflect on what's going on in your life. Reflect on how you're feeling. Reflect on, um, yeah, on, on everything. I, I think, you know, people don't do that. They don't, people don't reflect. They don't pause. You know, our society is go, go, go. Yep. And, so I think the first thing is you have to pause. You have to just take stock of what's going on with yourself. And then, and then based on what you uncover, then you have to make choices. It, it, are things going in the way I want them to go? Is my life, am I feeling the way I, I, I want to be feeling in my life? And if the answer is no, then take some measures to figure out why and, you know, through a coach, a therapist, whatever, <laughs> and, and, and make a different choice. Um, I, but I think the, first, the, the biggest problem is that we're on autopilot for most people. We just we get on, you know, we get into our routines and our habits. We are driven by this or that, and, and it's very hard to get off. And, 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 and then what happens is you go through your life and one day you realize what happened. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I think to me, that's the first step. You have to make room to actually take stock of what's going on and actually connect with the experience of your life, <laughs> you know, and cause if you don't do that, then are you really living? <laughs> you know, that's, it's uh, yeah. That's step yeah. one in my book. Yeah, I love that. Pause, especially the busy life. I don't, I don't know about you, but the pandemic was one of those big pauses for a lot of people. For me personally and my wife, we just loved the fact that everything slowed down. We didn't have to be running children anywhere. We didn't have to be anywhere ourselves. We could just, just oh, we can relax a little bit here. And, and it was and it was fantastic. Yeah. And you're... It's interesting, though, because I think – on the one hand, yes, you had you we gained time because you didn't have to commute and do all that stuff, and you have to shuttle the kids everywhere. But I can say that you know I was working with a lot of leaders at the time, and and people just put they just filled the space with not pausing but with more work, and it was at least and that's that's how it played out for a lot of the executives I was coaching at the time, and I think it was a really tough time for a lot of people because you would think, yeah, oh, I just saved an hour on each way for the commute great like work out or meditate or do something but no they just added a meeting or two meetings <laughs> um so i think there is this false um this false belief that the only way to be productive is to keep going to keep moving forward and the notion of pausing i think many people believe that they will just fall behind and that's why it's such a, a struggle to do that yeah, absolutely. It's that like keeping up with the Joneses mentality. We've we've got to be always looking at whatever else is doing. Are we doing enough of that? I, I think that it makes sense for the executives that that's where they went because it's everyone kind of had to face their 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 stuff and and it 
amplified the things that were already a challenge. So I imagine for the executives you're coaching, that's a, a big part of it. Yeah. I nearly called you William. He's uh, <laughs> in my head. Yeah. Um, Nick, can you tell us um, some more about the book and uh, where people can get a hold of it? Yeah. Um, so the, uh, as, we, as we talked about, it, it's called My Teacher, My Son. It, it, it was a phrase that sort of came to me again. It, it was weird in those early couple of weeks afterwards, all these different powerful phrases came and that was one of them that just stuck. Um, and, and, and it's all about the experience of what happened. You'll, you'll learn about all the experience I had the day of the, the couple of days after the weeks after the months after. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it, it is definitely a book about grief, but I, I also see it as a book, you know, it's not just about for people who have loss of someone they love, but it's about people who are just struggling in, in life in general. It, it, it's a different way of thinking about, um, your life. Uh, so it, it, again, I, I think it's, it's a great book for anybody who is, is feeling less than happy or fulfilled in their lives. You know, this is a book that might give you some thoughts or provoke some ways of thinking that will allow you to move, move, move forward in, in a way that's, that's better for you. So that, that's really the intent of the book. Um, it's currently available for, it's on pre-order for, on Amazon, uh, and, and it go, it releases on November 7th. So two weeks, and I, I can't wait for it to get into the world because, I've been talking a lot about the book and, and, and yeah. I just want people to read it. So to see, you know, just to get it out there. So, yeah. um, so by, yeah. the, by the time this goes out, November 7 will have well and truly been and gone. So people, okay. Will so the book it. is out. <laughs> <laughs> the book is out. Hope people are loving it. Um, yeah. So the book is, is, is you can buy it on Amazon. It, it eventually will be, um, uh, in due time, it'll start to be distributed in other places, but initially it's just going to be on Amazon. So yeah. Fantastic. Well, Nick, thank you so much for coming and sharing not just your story, but your your wife's story and your your children's story. Um, I appreciate the openness and and sharing some of your magic and and their magic as well. Appreciate it. Absolutely, it was it was a pleasure to to, to connect and and uh, yeah, enjoyed our conversation. Thanks, Ian. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too. If you are truly ready to heal your unresolved or unknown grief, let's chat. Email me at info at ianhawkinscoaching.com. You can also stay connected with me by joining the Grief Code community at ianhawkinscoaching.com forward slash the grief code. And remember, so that I can help even more people to heal, please subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.